Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out www.nhte.net. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to be on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Lots of great guests on Now Hear This Entertainment, or as I've taken to calling it, NHTE. Joining me today here in the studio, my guest is a musician based here in the greater Tampa Bay area. For 10 years up in New York, he played bass in the Tony Award-winning Broadway show Rent. He also recorded with Grammy Award-winning artist R. Kelly, along with others. He even had a successful writing career, having written instructional books for Mel Bay Publications and articles for Bass Player Magazine. He had graduated from Berklee College of Music with a degree in music performance, He has a book called Unbreakable, The Secret to Getting Anything and Everything You've Ever Wanted, which we will tell you how to get for free. He is also the host of a brand new podcast that he will talk about. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Mark Ensign. Hey, Bruce. How you doing? Excellent, Mark. Welcome to the show, and thanks for coming in to do this today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. I want to set the stage for the listeners because... Mark's is truly an inspirational story, and that's why I wanted to have him on the show. Last week, we had an entertainment lawyer on as the guest, which was my way of doing something a little different because it had been a while since I had someone on that isn't a performer. And I heard Mark Ensign tell his own story when we were at PodFest in Orlando back in February and felt that because it is so difficult to get up and try to make some headway in the entertainment world every day, I could be of service to a lot of you listeners who are aspiring performers by bringing on Mark and letting you hear his truly remarkable story to help motivate you and give you hope. So, Mark, let's start at the logical place, which is the beginning. Of course, you were born and raised in New Jersey, I believe. Yep, that's right, northern New Jersey. Okay, and in the intro... Uh, I mentioned that you're a bass player. So when and how did you first start playing? Um, I started in third grade. I started playing trombone. Uh, and I started playing trombone because they ran out of saxophones. So, <laughs> so I, I was last in line, and we don't have one of those, so take one of these. But, like, but saxophone, did you want to play saxophone? I, I wanted to play sax, but they uh, but they ran out of them. So, so I started playing trombone, okay. which ended up being a blessing in disguise because I learned bass clef at a very, very young age. Uh, and I graduated from trombone to guitar, uh, and then I wasn't very good at that. And then I graduated to keyboard and I wasn't very good at that. And by the time (laughs) I wanted to play bass, uh, my parents got so tired of buying me instruments that they said no. And I was, I think I was about 14 at the time. They said, if you want to play bass, you're going to have to buy one yourself. When you're using the word graduated, you went from trombone to this and then to this and then to this. Was that your own choice? You were getting tired of it? Or was somebody telling you, okay, now the next step is musicians logically go to this next? Uh, well, from trombone to, to guitar, it was more because I got tired of getting beat up after school <laughs> for playing trombone. <laughs> it's not the coolest instrument. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, um, 
so when I when I started playing uh, bass, it was uh, I, I think it was partly because it was kind of in my blood. My dad was a bass player, you know, uh. years and years ago, but before, you know, well before I was born, uh, he just used to play in bars. Uh, so I think part of it was in my blood. The other part was my parents um, made me buy it. So I saved up the five or six hundred bucks to buy wow. my first bass, and I had a little bit of "I'll show you," uh, you know, yeah. in in my uh, you know in, in in this thing, and and I had to prove them that that I could see this thing through. As we will mention as the podcast goes along, you are an entrepreneur. That sounds like you were an entrepreneur even back then because what <laughs> what did you do to raise four or five hundred dollars to buy a base at, at I think did you say fourteen? I was uh third I was about thirteen or fourteen. So yeah, so I had a, a uh, I had a paper route, which they did at the time, like you know, for kids and stuff like that. I had I had a paper I delivered papers and I made, you know, eighty bucks a week or something like that from that, or sixty bucks a week. And uh, and I also worked at a jewelry store vacuuming the floor off the books uh, <laughs> for like three days a week after school. Wow. Wow. Uh, so we'll fast forward to after high school and you attended Berkeley College of Music. Right. In mm-hmm. Boston. Yeah. Uh, so I, I it, it was 1990. I, I went there for a music performance and, and I was actually supposed to go to school to be an architect. And at the last minute, I changed my mind. Uh, because I was I was in the high school jazz band and we were okay we weren't great we weren't you know terrible uh, but uh, we had um, we had this our first gig was at a uh, I think it was my senior year or, or the end of my junior year we had a gig at a, at, at a retirement facility and we got there and it was just a room full of uh, you know people in their 70s 80s and 90s that were just looked comatose like mm. they just looked unhappy they looked miserable and so we started playing in the mood, and everybody got up, and within minutes, we're dancing. Wow! And it was a really cool, uh, it was a really cool experience because uh, you know I, I got so much out of it. I, I, I came home from that gig, and I called my mom, and I, I was like, I want to be a musician. That's wow. it. Like, like I want to have an impact on people like that for for you know a living. Wow, that's that's impressive for for a high schooler. And, and so then you so then you changed, and and you went to Berkeley. Yep, and for- I. I started Berkeley in the fall of 1990, graduated in the winter of 93. So it took me about three and a half years because I took some classes over the summer. And safe to say, nothing but a positive experience at Berkeley? Yeah, I mean, like, I walked into Berkeley with a different kind of way of looking at it than I think most people did. Um, everybody wanted to be really good at their instrument, which of course was was part of it. I want to learn as much as I can. I want you know I walked in there wanting to learn as much as I can, but putting almost more uh, weight in knowing as many people as I could. Why was uh, that? Uh, because I saw it as a business. Like um, wow. you know, I walked into this place and I was the big fish in the little pond at home. And then now all of a sudden I'm the little fish in this giant pond of, you know, a couple hundred bass players that were absolutely unreal. And, Mm. and, uh, it it didn't look like I was going to surpass them anytime soon. So I had to stand out in other ways. I had to, you know, make sure that I really, um, uh, you know, if I was going to get the gig, I was going to have to be friends with all the people that, you know, do the hiring. And I, I really, mm-hmm. I really worked the system a little bit. And in my first year, I was one of the uh, busiest studio guys at, at the school. Wow! So wow. on, on base at least, yeah, yeah. Well, now listeners is where I get really silent and and let Mark take over. I should mention that as a speaker. Mark has shared the stage with some of the world's brightest minds and biggest mouths. <laughs> so, Mark, of the many things that you do so well, speak. Uh, share <laughs> share with the listeners 
where you were mentally after college and how you moved toward chasing your dream. Sure. So I, I graduated from, from college in the winter of 93, and I, and I spent about a year and a half uh, on a cruise ship, you know, working, playing in the show band. And, and I, came home oh. from, I came home from that with this idea that I wanted to play on Broadway. And um, I don't know what really fueled that because I didn't, uh, I, I'd never been to a Broadway show at that point. Like I just, it felt like a steady gig. But you had moved back to New Jersey after Berkeley. Yeah. yeah. After, after the cruise ship gig, I moved back in with my mom. Okay. So, which is, yay. My, you know, <laughs> my mom is great and everything, but you know, when you're when out of college, it's, it's yeah. a, you know, it's a big step backwards. Uh, so, uh, but, but that allowed me the, the opportunity to really focus. Now in New Jersey, I was only about 25 minutes from the George Washington bridge. So I was really close, you know, as far as getting to say within an hour, I could be in front of any theater that I needed to be in front of. So, uh, and, and I think Broadway has had this, this thing that it was, it was a steady gig. Uh, it paid really well and it was very prestigious. So it was something to run towards. It was this impossible goal that <laughs> I, I really knew I had no shot at getting, but you know, why not? It seemed like if you're going to get a steady gig, this is probably the one. And uh, and if you remember when I started uh, in third grade, I, I started learning how to play, uh, how to read bass clef. Uh, mm. I was really, I was a really, really strong reader. I could read pretty much anything. So Broadway fit like a glove for me. Um, so uh, you know, this is in let's see, this was back in '96, '95, '96. And there was no, there really was no internet. There was a little bit of a, an America Online thing, but yeah. there wasn't really that much internet, uh, um, or at least anything useful. Uh, like right now, you can go and you can do a search and you can find out who plays in every show. Back then, you couldn't do that. There, wow. well, that information didn't exist online. So, um, the second best uh, choice I had was to just drive into the city and I would go to every theater, and I would. Um, Ask the ushers for a playbill. If they wouldn't give me a playbill, I would try to steal one. If they, if I couldn't steal one, I would wait until somebody got out of the show and didn't want it anymore, and I would, I would ask them for oh it. And gosh. if I couldn't get it that way, one time I actually dug into the garbage and took one. Wow! So, so I mean, I was committed. <laughs> like I'll I was say. really I'll committed. Say. So over the course of a week or two, I had a stack of every playbill for every show that was on Broadway, and in that playbill was a list of the all the um, bass players, guitar players, all the musicians, all the musical directors, the um, uh, you know, every, everybody involved on the music side of the, uh, you know, the contractors, everybody that was involved in, in, in the booking of musicians on that show was in that, uh, was in that playbill. So now I had all their names and I knew what they did. I just needed to contact them. And so I had this, uh, this idea that like, okay, well I'll join the union cause I gotta be a member of the union anyway. I'll join the union. And then this way, when I join the union, they're going to give me a book of, uh, you know, a directory of all the people that are in the union. If and you're on a show, information. Yeah, if you're in a show, you're in the book because you're in the union. And so now I have your, um, your mailing address and your phone number. And uh, so that's what I did. I went into the city. I went and joined the union. And uh, however, because I didn't have a gig, they wouldn't let me join the union. There was like this weird catch-22 that at the time that if you want to be in the union, you have to have a gig. If you want to have a gig, you have to be a member of the union. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I left there with no union card. Um, and so I came home, uh, went back into the city a couple days later with this brilliant idea. I, I brought a wire cutter with me, took the bus into the city. And at the bus station, I... Um, I cut off, uh, I cut the chain of a phone book that was chained to uh, a phone booth at, at, the, at the time. 
And uh, this way I walked away with, with a phone book. I figured like most of the people probably live in Manhattan and I'd probably be able to get 50, 60% of the people uh, of all the names that I had, which I did, which was, which was about on the money. And, uh, and that's what I did. And so, so I started calling people and I would send them resumes that I know that they didn't read. Like l- looking back now, I'm laughing because I would send people resumes. Was but, anyone answering the phone when you were calling? And if so, what, what, how did that conversation go? It didn't go well. Um, <laughs> it, it, well, cause, cause, uh, yeah, I was a nobody. Uh, I was told that I wasn't good enough. I was told I wasn't, um, I wasn't well connected. I was but, too young. But what was your, what was your icebreaker when they'd answer the phone? Hey, Fred. And then uh, what would you say? It was pretty much, um, you know, hey, I'd like to, I, I'd like to uh, play the show. <laughs> like, like, how do I, how do I, like, at one point I was calling guitar players and seeing, like, like, you know, how serious the bass player is in the show. Like, like, is there anything I was talking, like, wow. thinking about maybe I could bounce him off the show. And, uh, like, like, I mean, it was just completely <laughs> absurd. I, I really was feeling around in the dark. I had no clue what I was doing, but I was reaching out to people and, and blindly trying to, you know, call people and and send. The, I sent them demo tapes and because they, they didn't listen to. And I sent, uh, um, uh, you know, the resumes and letters. And then I'd follow up and uh, like it was. I, I mean, I treated this like a business. Yeah. And eventually, I got in touch with one of the musical uh, contractors, and uh, he's like, "Look, I, you know, I I heard that you reached out to you reached out to a bunch of people. You're doing this all wrong. Uh, do me a favor, go join the union. And once you're a member of the union, then I can help you." So like that's all I need. So I ran over back into the union and uh, told them that hey, you know, I was told I have to join the union by uh, this guy John, and uh, they said, oh well, are you the new bass player for the show? So I'm like, I don't, yeah, sure. What, what are we like? Believe it, believe You know, what does it mean to you? <laughs> and I ended up with um, uh, the book and the union card and the whole thing. And I came back and he he said that uh, he's like, your number one job is to become friends with bass players and Ask them if you can sub the show. That's it. Don't stop calling everybody else. <laughs> stop sending demo tapes and all this other stuff. Just make friends and and see if you can uh, sub the show. So I said, okay, great. So I started focusing on bass players. I started showing up at the shows. I started, you know, hey, who wants to go out to dinner? And I take people out to dinner. Wow. Um, just to start to make friends, start to get the introductions going, and and still didn't get anywhere. Didn't it wasn't it wasn't very helpful. Um, and then I, uh, I had this brilliant idea that I was going to reach out to all the bass players and tell them that I wrote for uh, bass player magazine <laughs> and I wanted to interview them for the article that I'm writing about Broadway, <laughs> which is a complete lie, <laughs> which was a complete lie. Uh, well, I, or as I like to, I like to call it, uh, I was telling the truth in advance. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, um, so, so I ended up, te- you know, telling half a dozen, dozen, uh, bass players that, Hey, you want to be in this article? Let me know. And, and, uh, but the deal was I get to, I get to watch the show from the pit. I get a copy of the music. I get to meet everybody in the band and I get an hour of your time where we can sit down and talk. And, and every question I had was self-serving. How do I get the gig? And so I, I walked away with Amazing. every, every ounce of information I could ever want. Uh, fast forward a couple of weeks, they start asking, where's the article? Like, you know, Uh-oh. cause I've interviewed everybody. I have stacks of all this information. Where's the article? And I, uh, I was, Oh, I did, didn't even consider writing an article. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I, and I figured they would have forgotten, like, I don't know what yeah. I was thinking, but then I reached out to bass player magazine. I said, Hey, I got all these people. Uh, would you be interested in the article? And they said, we'll take it. And I didn't write the article. So now I got to go back. And I got to write the article. I got these people. Like, I got, I'm getting pulled in every direction. I end up writing uh, the article. It gets published in the magazine. I send it out to everybody. It's just a miracle. That, that and what this... age were you at this point? 
This was in, I want to say, 97. So I was probably, I was about 25. Okay. Something like that. Because I was on tour for two years with the, with the cruise ship, or a year and a half with the cruise ship. So, so yeah, probably about, I was about 25. Um, and here you are with, a, with an article published in have, Bass Player Magazine. And I have an article published in Bass Player Magazine totally by accident. It's the first, it's like really the first thing I ever wrote, really. Wow. I wasn't a writer. Um, I, in fact, my, my uh, English teacher in high school thought it was nothing short of a miracle that I got out of there alive. <laughs> and and uh, so I, I, you know, I, I, I got the article published. I sent it out to everybody with a note that said, here's the article. Congratulations. You're in the magazine. Let me know uh, when I could sub the show. <laughs> <laughs> still, still doing a little bit of that, you know. Uh, I, you know, I gave you something. Now you owe me. Yeah. And uh, people don't like it when you do that. When you, yeah. when, when uh, you, you send them a bill with the thing that you have volunteered <laughs> to do. And uh, so I was back to square one. Nobody was really picking up the phone, but there was this one guy that was really, really kind to me, and he, he, uh, he was really excited about the article, like almost a little too much so. So I was like, let's go out to dinner, and uh, like this is my only hope. You know, I got this one guy. And so we go out to dinner, and a really, really nice guy, and he's just gushing about this article. And I get down to the bottom of it. His father was a well-known bass player, or um, well, or, or at least a very busy bass player. You know, back uh, you know uh, in the in the fifties and sixties, he worked with Jim Croce and Bob Dylan and all these wow. all these amazing um, musicians. He was a studio guy, and back then they never put the names in the liner notes, so he never got any uh, credit for anything that he recorded. Mm-hmm. He's on, he's on hit after hit, and you would never know. Mm. Um, and and so this article coming out kind of gave him the notoriety that his dad never did because his dad has since passed away. And and he was really um, he was really torn up about it. Like it really meant something to him that that this came out. And so I had this brilliant idea without like without even thinking about. It. I was like, we should write an article about your dad. Wow. And uh, you know, I don't write for Bass Player Magazine. Like, I have no <laughs> right to offer this uh, up to anybody. Uh, so I did, and he um, and he he's like, "You think we can do that?" I was like, "Of course, we could do that." Like, the, the, my editor's gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, so I wrote an article called "The Most Famous Bass Player You've Never Heard Of," and it was about it was about him. And and uh, and this time, when the article eventually came out, because it did eventually come out, it took a little while, a little longer, but. Uh, I sent it to him. Uh, I sent him a couple copies of it, and and I really got that this wasn't about you know me doing it for me. Like mm. I really did it for him, and I really gave back, and I was really it was really about adding value to some other, to another human being and doing the right thing. And I sent it to him, and didn't really follow it up with anything uh, other than uh, you know here you you know your dad finally got the notoriety he deserved. And uh, it was probably about a month or two later that he reached out. And um, he asked if I wanted to sub the show. He's like, I'm, it was it was around November, and he said, I'm going on vacation in January. I'll give you the Sunday matinee, uh, and you know, so you have two months to prepare for wow. it. And uh, if if this doesn't, you know, like, like you better be ready because if you know if you blow this, you'll never you'll never work again. And this was for rent. And this was for rent. Yeah. And that, so my first my first show on Broadway was at the time. This is '98. Uh, was the biggest show uh, like on Broadway at the time? Had, had you ever even seen Rent? Did it matter if you'd seen it? Is it just I, as long as I could read the music, Bruce? It, you know that that's the most important thing. I ne- I never saw. To this day, I've I uh, I've let me see. I've never actually seen the show from the audience perspective. Wow. To this day, I've played the show a thousand times. I've only <laughs> I've never I've never actually seen it though. I've seen it from the side of the stage, but I've never actually seen so the audience. So he told you you've, you've essentially got two months. 
So I had two months, and what I, I, I ran that show two or three times a day. I, um, I, I, it was the only thing I, was, I would allow myself to listen to, and when I would listen to it in the car, I would sing the bass line while the show was, mm. was, was playing. Um, I would practice the show in my room with the lights off and flashlights in my eyes just to see, you know, because the band is on stage for that show. So like, I don't know what it's going to be like to have spotlights in my eyes or whatever. So let uh-huh. me see if I can play the show that way. I would kick the music stand over, see if I could recover, put all the music uh-huh. out. Of, I'd put the music out of order and see if I can still make it through the show, you know, flipping and turning, trying to, trying to find my spot. Uh, I got to the point where I could play the you know play the show without the music. I would go every Saturday and Sunday. I would I would watch from the side. I would watch the show uh, from sitting behind the bass player, and then everybody would go out to dinner, and I'd sit in his chair with my headphones on, and I'd practice the entire show mm. while everybody was at dinner. Then they'd come back, and then I'd watch the evening show. Amazing. And so this went on for two months to the point where, uh, by the time I actually was sitting on that stage, I had done it so many times that it was like, like there were, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't freaked out. I wasn't, oh my God, this is Broadway. It was just another gig. Um, and, and so, um, when I, uh, when, when, uh, the intermission, sh- you know, came around, I remember the guitar player coming up to me and saying, he's like, oh my God, I, I didn't even know, uh, you were here. I thought, uh, Steve was playing the show. Wow. And it was a really cool experience because for me, um, as a sub, your number one job is to is to uh, make sure that nobody knows that you're there. Like you, like, like you know, I'm the guy that flew above the radar and made made the you know most noise in college, and and made the most noise to get the gig. But now I had to um, you know kind of be incognito as a sub. Yeah, your and goal so, is to let them think that Steve was still the one that was playing. Exactly, and that and so that's what I did. And uh, by the time I got home, I I was told that you know it's like I don't know what you did, but you know they want you they want you back as my as my sub. And it was uh, just an amazing experience. Within six months, I, I got offered the tour. So mm. I went on tour with the show and then did that for a year and a half, came back and subbed on and off and came, you know, and played the show in New York for until up until it closed. So, so it was about 10 years. Yeah, total, total 10 years. Wow. And I, st- and I still haven't, seen the, <laughs> still haven't wow. seen the show. No, that's just, you know, that's just such a tremendous story. And, and thank you for, for sharing the whole thing. And, sure. and, and listeners, that's... That's why I wanted to have Mark on that story. Those of you who are who are regular listeners, as I always say, thank you. It, it, it really does mean a lot, everyone who listens every week. But my point is, those of you who listen regularly know that the show, now here at this entertainment, usually goes anywhere from 45 to 50, 55. Sometimes we've even hit 60 minutes. I can stop here, and, and this would be a, a tremendous episode. But I, there's a whole lot more that, that I want to talk to Mark about. But uh, gosh, th- thank you. That That's just... What a story, and, and and I just really hope that a lot of listeners, I'm, I'm getting a little choked up, but I hope a lot of listeners will draw some inspiration from that because, gosh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm someone that really prides myself on hard work, and, and that's what that story was all about, is I just never heard any quit in there, you know, I never heard right. any, you know, this, this seemed like it was getting a little too ridiculous or a little too far off, that's like, uh, who's kidding who, I, I just gotta, and that's, wow, hats off, that's... Yeah, I, I always I, I always saw it as, or at least I see it now as I was uh, too young and dumb to know that I wasn't supposed <laughs> to get the gig. Like, <laughs> That's true, but but you were very clever and, and very persistent. I mean, some of those things, like when you said that you brought the wire cutters, I thought he's going to do something with a fence. What, what's he What's he talking about? Uh, outstanding. I am Bruce Warzniak, and joining me today here in the studio is musician Mark Ensign. He is also the CEO and big cheese at Loudmouse. 
and each year helps hundreds of speakers, authors, coaches, artists, and entrepreneurs find their voice and connect with their audience online. Visit his website at www.markensen.com, and you'll want to look at the title of this episode on your listening device to get the proper spelling of his first and last name so that you can go to markensen.com. Wow, on that website, there are a host of icons to follow Mark on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, there's a whole lot more. His book called Unbreakable, which we will talk about, is available as a free download on his website. And there are two books that he wrote that are available for purchase on Amazon. Uh, tease it up nicely. Speaking of Amazon, if you're going to go to any to go to Amazon to purchase anything at all, would love it if you'd go to nhte.net and click on the tall Amazon banner to get there. While you're at nhte.net, also look for the button for our Patreon campaign. You can also go there directly. It's patreon.com slash nhte. However, I would greatly consider your consideration for a donation to the show through Patreon. We also have a Facebook group called NHTE Listeners. If you just want to look it up on Facebook, that's the name of it. Otherwise, there is a button on nhte.net that you can click on to go to the NHTE Listeners Facebook group. If you want to send us an email, the email address is podcast at nhte.net. And of course, this show can be heard on nhte.net. But there are several other platforms where it's available, so you can take it with you anywhere you go. iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio. Please do subscribe and tell a friend. There's also our newsletter that you can sign up for at nhte.net. And of course, we are on social media as well. When you're on nhte.net, just look for the social media icons, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Mark, I mentioned that your book, Unbreakable is available as a free download on your website. Two questions. First is, as we just heard, you have such a compelling story. Um, why give that story away for free in, in the book? Because my second question is, is Unbreakable all about your rise to Broadway? Yeah, it's the 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 um, the book actually came uh, as it was influenced by the uh, the book Who Moved My Cheese, and where it's that really quick uh, kind of short read with, you know, eight to 10 different lessons throughout. And I, uh, the first time I ever told anybody the story, like, like for me and everybody that was around when I, when I went through all this, it was just, Oh, Mark's just being Mark. Like it wasn't, it wasn't this, this big, uh, uh, deal. But then when I started telling people the story, uh, I started getting this reaction like, wow, like, you know, it's like, it was so second, it was very second nature to me, but other people, you know, never, I never would have thought to do that. Or, you know, I can't believe you, you did that. Or what, weren't you worried about what people thought when you kept calling them back? So um, I felt it was like a lesson that needed to get out there. As far as um, as far as it being free, uh, I danced around the idea of, of selling it or get you know getting it published, and someday that might be the case. Uh, right now, what's important to me is I, I really wanted to get it into as many hands as possible. Uh, you know, my my mission, my goal, what 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 I'm meant to do is just to make an impact in you know and uh, anywhere I can. And this is some place that that uh, I've really shined, and 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 the story really seems to mean a lot to a lot of people, and it's helped a lot of artists. And if anybody uh, you know owns a little piece of my heart as far as uh, you know needing help, it's it's you know the um, uh, performance and and visual arts communities, and and this is something that I, I believe that can help them. It's really cool. There's this, uh, and and I know that it's not a coincidence, but there's this pattern that's developing here the last few weeks here on NHTE. Uh, I had actually written a blog 
Um, let's see, this was uh, in the middle of May. Um, if you're on NHTE.net, listeners, go into the blog section and look for the one that references Bill Murray in the uh, in the headline. And, and I'm referring to, there was an event in St. Pete recently that I went to where I watched a couple of sales trainers and listeners. I'm sorry, I know you've heard me say this the last couple of weeks, but it's amazing because I'm getting this from you, especially when you talked about the guy who his dad had never gotten any credit and finally you it dawned on you that you know what this is just about doing something for this guy never mind what i can get out of it anymore and and these sales trainers were doing this presentation where they were telling a room full of salespeople, you need to have a servant's heart mm-hmm. and it's and it amazed me to, to stand there in a room where sales trainers are telling salespeople you need to have a servant's heart i'm like yeah right Salespeople <laughs> are always asking for something and so it it, it can't be a coincidence you know, that here we are, and I don't know for a fact that it's uh, three weeks in a row. I don't think it came up. It, it, it I, Correction, I think it did last week, uh, episode 173 with, with the uh, entertainment attorney that I referred to, Ryan Carella. Uh, Nicole Medoro, the week before, episode 172, I know that it came up with her. And um, not sure that it was 171 with Heather Jeanette because that was only two days uh, after the the blog had come out, so I don't think so. But this is at least three weeks in a row, so it's really nice to hear you say that. You know that that that's kind of the place that you come from. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment, where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is. You know how they say that a potential employer will check out your social media to see who you are away from the job? Well, remember that your music career is your job. So a venue, a media person, someone in the music industry, yes, someone who has an opportunity for you, could very likely be checking out your social media first. Your posts that show you drinking, smoking, partying, and being inappropriate in a way that could turn them off can and will lead to you missing out on the very opportunities that you often wonder how others are getting, but you are not. Instagram stories or Snapchat stories might be temporary, but it takes one wrong one at the wrong time for someone to say no way and pass you up for someone else. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show. To make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format, there is a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40, 41 to 80, and 81 to 120, respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. I want to mention uh, a little ways back, I don't know, two months ago, and I apologize, I'm changing the subject, by the way. Sure. Uh, you told me the story about recording what would ultimately be for an R. Kelly album. Right, so right. Share that with the listeners. So... Uh, and this and this is where my my experience at Berkeley came into play, or just when when uh, uh, my first year in Berkeley, I, I wanted to spend a lot of time in the studio. Again, reading was my strength, and um, I just loved being in the studio. And and so the guy that lived across the hall from me was a bass player. Also, he was a senior, I was a freshman. He and I became really good friends. Still to this day, we're we're uh, we're really close. And uh, so when he left, he told everybody, "Hey, when when you need a bass player, call this you know call this guy. He's uh, he's he's my fill-in." And so by w- with 
within my freshman year, I was I was in the studio playing with you know juniors and seniors uh, pretty religiously, and one of the one of the engineers in the in in that studio um, was this guy Paul, and he uh, he was I think a year or two years older than me, and a really great engineer, uh, really great producer. And um, we became good friends, did a lot of work with him. And then I never heard from him again for, you know, 10 years uh, after I was doing all this stuff and going around doing my thing. And all of a sudden I got a call uh, from him that uh, he needed a bass player for a studio gig. So I said, oh, okay, sure. So and might this have been around the time when you were in the latter part of doing Rent? Uh, this is probably somewhere smack in the middle. So okay, it was, okay. it, I, I want to say, um, oh man, what, what year, what, uh, it had to be in, no, it had to be in the early, uh, the 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 late '90s. Um, so it was probably around. So it probably wasn't ten years. Probably five years since I heard from okay. since graduation. So it's probably '97, '98. So somewhere around that same time frame. Because I remember I was playing in a wedding band, and I wasn't married or dating uh, my wife yet, who I who I met in in '99, uh, um, the end of '99. So we, um, so. Uh, he uh, he he called me into the studio and was at the Hit Factory in New York City and uh, I, he needed me there at twelve midnight and we're going to be there to about six a.m. and I got there and the studio was just packed with people, uh, a lot of people in the um, you know in the control room and in the you know in the live room and then you know the couch in the green room at midnight and at midnight and just you know it was like a, it was a party like it was it, it was a party. <laughs> So this guy comes over, he introduces himself, his name is Rob, and, and he's, uh, he's telling me about, um, you know, here's what I want you to do. I have a couple tracks I want you to record. I have a couple grooves I'm gonna, you know, I want you to play. Uh, threw everybody out of the control room except for me and this guy, Paul. And he hit record, and he just got right up in my, uh, in my ear and started uh, screaming uh, different grooves to me. And it was just so loud, like my ears were going to bleed. Uh, you know, it just was really, it was just really loud. And, um, and so, uh, you know, he's, he's singing this riff and I start playing it and then, and like, he just was so like, like surgical with what he wanted. As soon as he heard like one, you know, like, like one sample of what he wanted, he goes, Oh, that was the one. Let's go on to the next one. And then he, we just did this for four or five hours and all different grooves, different styles, different techniques. And, uh, and I left and that was it. Then two weeks later, I got a check from, uh, Jive Records Wow. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, because I, I didn't know who it was. It was just a studio gig. <laughs> yeah. I got this check from Jive Records, and and on the check it said R. Kelly. Mm. I was like, what? So so I, I look up, uh, uh, you know, I go check out an R. Kelly album because I, I wasn't that big a fan at the time. I became a bigger fan, uh, <laughs> but, but I wasn't that big of a fan at the time. And I and I you know I went to Tower Records and, uh -huh. and uh, pulled up an R. Kelly album. Sure enough, the guy Rob that was screaming in my ear was R. Kelly. Wow. I just I just never really wow. knew. Wow, did you did you get credit on that album, or or was that one of those they weren't crediting every musician? No, it was well, it was it was um, I believe the name of the album was called R, and uh, and it was there were it was two discs, and I think I was on the second disc, and um, I do, but I don't remember the name of the song. So amazing, uh, or and I was on one or two. So I I know I recorded three or four songs. I think I only made it to one or two. Uh, so Amazing. I did get I did get some uh, credit, not for the whole, not for not for all the stuff that I recorded, and uh, but it was also the album that uh, I believe I Can Fly was on, ah. which became a Grammy award winning hit. So like I played on this Grammy award winning album, <laughs> yes, I, I, and I blew that up <laughs> like you'd imagine. Mark, I also mentioned about the listeners being able to buy two other books on Amazon written by you. I had mentioned back in the intro 
that you wrote instructional books for Mel Bay Publications. What specifically are those two books? Um, so they're both base books. They're both instructional books for base. Uh, during all of this, uh, I had to make a living, so I played in wedding bands and I taught. And like you know, one of the asp- one of the one of the ways of making a living as a musician is to dip your toe into everything that you can. So so I was in a wedding band. I played in a jazz trio. I played in a rock band. I taught you know bass lessons. I oh. I did everything I could uh, to because not just for the money, although the you know like you need to obviously eat. But also because I met people at all these different mm. things that I did. So, so while I was teaching, I met a guy that, that wrote for Hal Leonard, and he was looking at all my exercises. I hated all the books that were out there, so I would write my own exercises. And so he was looking at my exercises, and he said, you know, this, these are really good. You should, you should get them published. Never occurred to me to get them published. Um, and so I reached out to uh, Mel Bay Publications, Hal Leonard, and um, like one or two others, I think Warner Brothers was another one, and uh, Mel Bay uh, sent me a contract within three mm-hmm. weeks, and I had and and like that. I mean, this book has been out for fifteen years, twenty years, something like that, and I still um, I still get a check every quarter. I mean, it's not like Amazing. enough to uh, enough to live off of at this point. But, yeah. But uh, so the two books are one is called the Groove Book, and it's um, it's like a it's how to play different styles of music on bass. And the other is called Slappin', and it's a it's an instructional book on how to how to uh, like a slap bass technique. You know why I'm laughing, right? Because everybody probably does. When you mention that, everybody probably does the line from "I love you, I love you, man." Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. With, uh, Paul Rudd slapping the bass. <laughs> right, right. Um, but that's interesting that that you talked about when you're a mus- musician, you have to do so many things because listeners, episode eight. Uh, with Dominic Pages right here in, in his own studio, or or maybe it was episode 56 when he came back on a second time, he talked about what he calls the new economy, which is that nobody's doing just one thing. Right. And we've had some very, 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 very accomplished guests on the show. I'm thinking of Joe Vitale, the, the drummer for Joe Walsh. I'm thinking of Buck Johnson, the keyboard player for Aerosmith. I'm thinking of Johnny Garcia, the guitar player for uh, Garth Brooks. All have been guests on this show and all talk about other projects that they're involved with. And so for you to sit there and say that you were doing this back in the 90s is kind of interesting because I'm not all of a sudden going to counter what what Nick Page has said on episodes 8 and 56 about this new economy. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear that even back then it was, hey, look, it wasn't the Internet. It wasn't social media. However, it still was a case of you're probably not really making a full-time living out of obviously just playing in a wedding band or, or just writing instructional books. Right. And, and you could see like the way I saw it was the, the people at Berkeley that got the most attention were the ones that played the most number of instruments. So if you can walk into a studio and play guitar, keyboards, uh, bass, draw, like, you know, you play everything. Uh, there was a value put on you, like ooh, you know that they were the ones that got a lot of the gigs because they know they could bring one person in and they can take care of four or five different instruments. Yeah, and that's true to this day. I mean, if you play multiple instruments, you will work a lot more. I wonder who was, or or maybe still is, or or still are, the bass player or bass players you really admired, or or like I said, maybe you still hold the same people in in really high regard, bass players. Um, I just just coming from where uh, you know my background and what my my interests were, I, I was I and I still am uh, a big studio bass guy. So so mm. I, I listen to guys like Leland Sklar, Marcus Miller, Anthony Jackson, 
um, uh, guys that were were really uh, prominent in in the studio, uh, Pino Palladino, that you would find on like you know CD after CD. You know, just you know, I mean, you'd be like, "Wow, that sounds familiar." Then you look <laughs> at it, and sure enough, it's it's. Um, you know, it's it's Randy Jackson again. You know, it, and and they'd be on all these different records, and, and like those are the guys that were just working like crazy, and um, there was nothing terribly flashy about them. Uh, that was the thing that that you know there there were a lot of uh, Victor Wooten had come out while I was still in college. He just came, he just he came out Bella Fleck and the Flecktones, and that was the big oh my god! I can't believe you could do that on a bass mm-hmm. uh, guy that that showed up on the scene. But um, as much as I admired his talent, it was really the guys that just held down the, you know, that played the, that did the job, oh. that, that held a solid Interesting. foundation uh, and, and played the role of bass player. But then again, that's that's in that's keeping in, in with the thinking that you said of, I want to sub for Steve on rent and I just want to fly below the radar. I just want people to think that Steve is still there. So it's kind of, it would be kind of, you know, contradictory if you sat here and said Getty Lee. Because it's like, well, right, right. you know, come on, you know, Getty Lee, everybody knows who he is. And, and from Rush and as a bass player, blah, 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 blah. But everybody knows who he is as opposed to, like you say, some of these guys are maybe not the household names in the, in the big flash and long, you know, international stardom career of a guy like Getty. But at the same time, very accomplished in their own right. Right. And if, and if you look at my past, my, my entire, I mean, back from when I was a kid to the present, even with what I'm doing now, it's always been about being the foundation, you know, helping support other people, uh, you know, and making sure other people shine. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today here in the studio is musician Mark Ensign. He is also the CEO and Big Cheese at Loudmouse, and each year he helps hundreds of speakers, authors, coaches, artists, and entrepreneurs find their voice and connect with their audience online. Visit his website at www.markensign.com. As I mentioned before, you can get the proper spelling of his first and last name by looking at the title of this episode on your listening device so that you can go to markensign.com. And then once you're on his website, there are a number of icons to follow Mark on social media, to name just a few, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram among them. Don't forget that his book called Unbreakable is available as a free download on his website. And there are the two books that he talked about that he wrote, which are available for purchase on Amazon, especially if you're a bass player or know a bass player that would benefit from having those. As I mentioned before, do get to Amazon by clicking on the tall banner on nhte.net. And not just for Mark's books, but for anything that you're going to go to Amazon for. Please support our show through a contribution via the Patreon campaign. It's patreon.com slash NHTE or go to NHTE.net, which is the internet home for this podcast. There's a button there to go to the Patreon page. There's also a button there for our Facebook group, which is called NHTE Listeners, although there's really uh, a lot of musicians in that group as well talking with each other. Podcast at NHTE.net is the email address if you want to write in podcast at NHTE.net. When you're on NHTE.net, be sure to sign up for the e-newsletter there, and you can also find all the different icons for the various platforms that this show is available on in case you don't want to sit in front of your laptop and listen to it on NHTE.net. iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Please do subscribe and tell a friend, and of course, hit our social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. So Mark, I've been mentioning that you're the CEO and Big Cheese at Loudmouse. What brought you down to Florida and why are you doing that? Meaning after such a great story and all that success in New York, why not just come down to Florida with your move and say, okay, I'm going to continue my music down here? Um, 
I think that that after uh, so many years uh, performing and being on Broadway and being on tour and traveling and and everything else, that I I got burned out. Like anything else, I, I mean, I have a lifespan of around five years at something before I get really tired of it. Uh, the only exceptions have been um, playing on Broadway, playing on Broadway, and my, and my wife, and my, and my kids too. Like, I'm not tired of them yet. I hope so, so, so. I, I it was just I just needed a change of pace. I was tired of of living in New Jersey and and just wanted to. I've been there my whole life, with the exception of a couple of years in college and a couple of years on tour. And uh, so I came down here uh, really in search of something new, of doing something different. And uh, and so I recently started a company called Loudmouse, which is um, it's it's kind of a a, a personal branding or marketing type company. For um, you know, for uh, speakers, authors, artists, coaches, entrepreneurs, people that want to uh, clarify their voice, you know, figure out who they are, and and reach a certain audience. But because you said in there, and I've been saying it in in your role with Loudmouse, as I've been giving out your own website, I've been saying that you help people find their voice and connect with their audience online, including artists, which is one Correct. that you just mentioned. So talk about how you assist performers and, and maybe throw out one piece of advice, perhaps related to a common mistake that you see them committing. How do you help artists? Sure. So, so a lot of a lot of what I did back in the day to get to get on Broadway uh, is unnecessary now because you have the ability to. Um, uh, to reach out via Facebook and Twitter, and you know, where you don't have to stalk people to the point where you're calling and getting hung up on, and restraining orders, and all this other, all this other nonsense, uh, where you can actually uh, reach out to these folks. And and what uh, what I see people doing that drives me a little batty is uh, they take that same approach that I did in the beginning. They they reach out to somebody with this idea of uh, how can you help me. I want this gig, so I'm going to, and 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 then they, and they throw away the people that can't quite help them at the time. So so mm. if you you know if you're either doing a show or or let's say you just got let go from a show, you're no good to me. So I'm going to go after the you know the the, the guy that's doing the show. Meanwhile, uh, there is um, uh, you know that that that's how I started, and I never would have gotten where I did if it weren't for the ability to kind of um, to give back and to give back like selflessly without any strings attached. And so one of the first things that I, if I'm working with somebody who's an artist or musician or, or um, a performer in any way, it's, it's really about let's figure out what, um, uh, you know, what people are, uh, like what people we want to con- you know, connect with. Like what do you want to do if you want to be on Broadway or studio or what is it that you want to do and who are the people that are doing it? What are the problems that you can solve for them? Like, like, how can you show up and and um, you know and sweep the proverbial floors to make their lives easier? Yeah. Uh, and uh, because that's how you build a rapport, and that's how you build a relationship. That's how you um, how how you uh, build up that you know law of re- you know, reciprocity, where where if I give to you enough, at some point you're going to feel obligated to give back, and um, and it's not going to be my idea. You're going to give back because. Uh, you want it because hey, this guy keeps showing up. He's he's showing up. He's taking me out to dinner. He's doing this. He's helping me with this. Um, I, you know, one of the parts I left out was I used to sub for a lot of the gigs that other bass players didn't want. 
uh, and and they wouldn't pay. Like like they would turn these gigs down because they paid twenty five dollars, but it was like thirty dollars in tolls to get there. What what were these gigs? Uh just random, you know, bar gigs or oh, or oh, like okay. jazz trio okay. stuff. Or there was there was some, I remember there was something in the city that was the you know, the guy paid me thirty bucks to do it. It was the bass player for another show. I think it was I think it was the bass player for Les Mis or something. And and that was one of the shows I was trying to get into. And and so I I, I took the gig. It was thirty bucks for the gig, and it cost me fifteen. Dollars in tolls and fifty dollars in parking. Wow! So, so it actually cost me money to do the gig, but I got I you know I built that rapport. I, I did some. I, I got him out of a jam. He was in a he was in a position where, um, you know, he needed somebody last minute, and so he just started calling. And and I had probably had my resume sitting <laughs> sitting at the top of his garbage, and, and, and he called me. So. So, uh, you know, I believe that, that whether you're, you know, a singer or whether you're a side musician or whatever it is that you want to do, uh, it really is important to, um, uh, to go in there and, and, and position yourself of value, that, that you're somebody uh, that's going to show up and give. Very nice. We're in the home stretch here, but I definitely want to give you a chance to talk about your new podcast. Tell the listeners the title and what it's about and, and of course, uh, where they can listen to it. Sure. So, so I have a. Uh, I started a new podcast, which I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling with because it's it's like it's a new medium for me. And and uh, but the the name of the podcast is called Be a Dick, and that that's right. I know I the said, listeners are going. To, what did, what <laughs> did he just say? And it's not it's not getting beeped out because the story is uh, when I first moved down to Tampa a couple of years ago. Uh, the first person I met when I moved here was my neighbor Dick. And he's this extraordinary guy. He's a um, uh, he, he was he's retired. He's in his you know mid to late sixties. Uh, he was the producer for uh, ABC Sports, and he's got a dozen Emmys hanging on a wall in in, in his living room. Uh, one of the most humble people you'll ever meet. One of the most successful people, uh, just both in life and in business. And uh, and I was coming from this place of I don't know anybody. I'm just lost in this new in this new place. And he really took me under his wing and and made my uh, moving to uh, to Tampa just just. Um, uh, it's such a pleasant, stress-free experience. Like it really a, brought a, a lot. A city where you knew no one. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. I mean, we showed up. I did. The only person I knew was a guy that I met on Twitter that said, "Hey, if you ever, uh, if you, <laughs> if you ever make it, uh, let me know. I'll take you out for a beer." And that was Lee Silverstein, who who runs the Colon wow. Cancer Podcast. And he uh, he did take me out for a beer. We've been, we've been very good friends since. He found you on Twitter on a was it a, was it a Mark Ensign personal account or yeah. was it Wow Yeah Wow So, so we and we became we became friends somehow on Twitter. It's just a weird story. And, and uh, <laughs> but that goes back to what you just said that nowadays you don't have to cut off phone books. You don't have to call people and send you know. And, and uh, I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag. Um, it's a it's an episode that I don't know why because. Uh, Gosh, what a, what a tremendous guest this was. But listeners, uh, episode 86 with Roger Fisher, he's the founding guitar player for Heart of mm-hmm. Anna Nancy Wilson, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. Uh, he started following me on Twitter. And so I emailed him and said, hey, thanks for following me on Twitter. I'd like to have you on the show. And it was really just that easy. Yeah. And uh, so, so, you know, here you are saying... This guy Lee Silverstein is following me on Twitter, and I come down to Tampa, and I, you know, and and then you know, we won't tell the listeners the whole rest of the thing because they don't know the same people that you and I do. But sure, um, but that's but that's the power, you know, of, of social media. As much as people like to bash it, there are those connections out there that can be made, and, and look at where they lead to. Uh, final question, Mark. With all that you're doing with Loudmouse, plus now you have the podcast. You're also a husband and a father. 
any time for really going all in if anyone out there wants you to record with them or maybe even perform live with them or as it relates to your bass playing days are you just gonna like pull a george costanza and point to the broadway story and say i'm going out on that uh yeah actually you know that that that's a good idea i should have thought of that uh no uh yeah i'm still i'm still playing uh, you know and uh in fact i just got back from new york i had a uh, gig up in new york um last week and uh so um so i flew up there for that and and now, like like the fun part about it is i still get to play and i still get to have fun with it uh, i don't have the stress of um you know being a teacher because i wasn't a very good teacher i didn't i didn't enjoy it um uh, you know and uh um and doing wedding band gigs, you know, girl from Ipanema, and doing the cruise ship thing, like <laughs> always being on tour. You know, I have, I have a, um, you know, I have a family. I have a wife, two kids, and I didn't want to spend their childhood on tour. I, I have uh, my my family has uh, a lot of holiday pictures. The Thanksgiving picture for three or four years in a row is my entire family with somebody holding a paint stick with my face stapled wow. to it. Wow. And there was, you know, somebody always carried Mark on a stick at the, at the holidays <laughs> because I was never there. I was always on the road. <laughs> So uh, I didn't want my kids to grow up in that, and and uh, now with with the company and every all these different things I'm doing again in that new economy, uh, I have the luxury of playing the things that I want to, and and w- if it means flying up to New York, I have no problem, and and or if it's local, that's great too, and I really have the freedom to do what I want. And so, if people do want to contact you with uh, anything having to do with performance, they can contact you through markensen.com. Correct. And then you also have a website for Loudmouse in case anyone. Is looking for your services that way. Sure, and that's and that's just loudmouse.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming in here today. This has been everything that I wanted it to be and more. I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm grateful for you taking the time to come in here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And and uh, thank you for having me in the studio as opposed to Skype. I think it's, it's so much more personal this way. Yeah, very much so. Listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to musician and podcaster Mark Ensign. Do visit his website. It's www.markensign.com. And then, as he just mentioned, Loudmouse, Loudmouse, M-O-U-S-E, Loudmouse.com is his company website. And engage with him on social media. That means like his Facebook page, follow him on Twitter and Instagram. For that matter, tell him you heard him on NHTE. Listen and subscribe to his podcast on iTunes. Remember that you can get his book, Unbreakable, as a free download from his website, And the other two books that he talked about, you can buy from Amazon. Don't forget to visit www.nhte.net and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it. Give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio too, hopefully accompanied by a five-star rating. That really does help the show a lot. If you are listening on SoundCloud, remember that you can like and repost episodes there, and you can also follow on SoundCloud. Engage with the show too. Go to nhte.net and click on the icon to go join the Facebook group. You can also write in via the email address podcast at nhte.net. Get with us on the various social media platforms that you'll find links to at nhte.net, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Please also consider supporting the show with a donation through Patreon. There's a button at nhte.net for that. And check out the t-shirts and hats at nhte.net too. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment.